0: Welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. Oh my God, we made it to the final day of August, and Donald Trump was never successfully reinstated yet. This is why you shouldn't get all your news from the guy who sells pillows. I mean, like, you know, some of it, not all of it. Oh, every day is a new day that democracy and our planet is in peril. Believe me, I know how stressful that can be. I'm panic sweating as we speak. But this show is here to help. Every week we are here with a tiny source of hope in podcast form. I'm joined as always by my producers, Adam Howard and Svia baron reinstein Okay, podcast gals, on today's show, I'm talking to the very hilarious, very charming comedian, Sarah Schaefer. Oh my God, I love her. Okay, If you were performing at an open mic or going to one, what, oh, what topic or trend has been bugging you these days that you'd want to hear a type five
1: about? Anything? Well, I feel like there's so much. We could complain forever about everything. We could. But I feel like this is something that I've heard you talk about before, and it's people spitting on the street. And I just had a really near, (laughs) too close for comfort encounter with someone when I was Waiting to cross oh. the street, and someone was running, and they stopped, oh, no. and they were jogging in place, and I had it was like out of a cartoon. <laughs> the way yeah. I had to move my body to get out of the way of them turning towards me and spitting in front Ooh. of me. <laughs> it was it was so horrific. I like froze. <laughs> <laughs> that is so gross. I'm glad they didn't get you. Me too. My yeah. body had to contort. That's. Very lucky. What about you, Adam?
2: Yeah, I mean, I might be more sensitive to this because of eating outdoors now, more because of COVID, but it's Mm -hmm. been driving me crazy, this thing. It's almost always men where these people will drive up and they have their windows open and they're just blasting whatever music they're listening to at this this, insane volume. And I've never understood if it's like, I'm just loving this music so much that like the whole world needs to hear it or if it's like an antagonistic mm-hmm. thing, but it it just drives mm-hmm. me insane there's no good reason to do this to people uh, <laughs> I, so it just it just drives me crazy like the other day I was having like a nice brunch with this couple with a small baby, and it's just mm-hmm. this guy pulls up, he's waiting at a stoplight, and it's like, you must listen mm-hmm. to my hard rock, whether you like it or not. <laughs>
0: That's Biden's America. I love it,
2: <laughs>
0: I love it when um, when I think old people thoughts, and then I learn how many other people also think old people thoughts. <laughs> Turn that music down. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to pull? <laughs> I can't hear myself think. It's true. It's crunch time. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. I have to tell you, I'm very, very excited to talk to our guest today. I am very, very excited. So we're going to take just a super quick break, but we have Sarah Schaefer coming up and just trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. Joining me today is the incredibly talented and funny comedian Sarah Schaefer. You may know Sarah as the co-host of MTV's late-night show, Nikki and Sarah Live, or from her very popular 2019 Comedy Central stand-up special. She's won two Emmy Awards for her work at Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and she's written for several other great shows like Netflix's The History of Swear Words, the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, and Not Safe with Nikki Glaser. Sarah published her first book last year, which I loved, the acclaimed and deeply moving memoir, Grand, and she hosts her own podcast called The Schaefer Shakedown. She is one super busy lady, and I'm so grateful that she made some time for me and her schedule. Welcome to the show, Sarah Schaefer. Oh, hi. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Oh my God. It's really nice
3: to see it's you. It's so good to see you too.
0: It's really nice to talk to you. I gotta tell you, I guess we're just starting. Is this okay? It's, it's Are you totally ready? Fine. Do you feel I'm so ready? ready. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna start this conversation with this. I read Grand. I read oh your my memoir. God. Like maybe a month or six weeks ago. Oh. And I fucking loved it so much. Oh
3: my god, Sam, this is. I love that. Thank you so much. I loved
0: it. And I can't tell you how many people I told about your book because I loved it so much and it meant a lot to me. I don't know. I felt it was extremely moving, beautifully written. It's a great book. And so I was like, we
3: have to get Sarah Chafer to be on it because we have to
0: talk about it. And anyways, thank you.
3: Oh my god, what a delightful surprise.
0: I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Okay, so we can tell everybody. First of all, actually, I should say before you even listen to this podcast, you should go and get the book grant and then read it and then come back to this conversation Mm -hmm. and then listen to this conversation.
3: Okay, good idea. (laughs) Good
0: idea. So I feel like we have a lot in common. But we've never really like sat down for like a long time, no. so I'm really excited to be here. It's happening, it's all <laughs> happening. Okay, you released your book during a pandemic. Yes, is it easier in a way because you know book tour? I'm not sure how I feel about book tours. I tried to do one once, and I feel like it resulted in exactly 15 sales of the book. So, Right.
3: so yeah, I um, well, part of it was just dis- obviously there was a lot of disappointments because part of Uh, the reward of writing a book is so hard that in my mind, I'd be like, just keep going one day. You'll have that moment where you're in a bookstore at a table, signing the book and somebody's standing there. And I didn't get any of that. I still haven't done any of that. So that was a disappointment. But, uh, and I will say that like, we did some zoom events and it was weird how psychologically different it was like, cause I I've toured, I've performed in tiny spaces in huge spaces, like I've done it all in terms of stand up, but in a book tour situation, you know, my expectations were going to be really low. Like per bookstore, if 40 people showed up, I would be like, amazing. But on Zoom, when 40 people show up for like your one Zoom book event, okay. you want to die. Okay. okay. <laughs> it should have been more. So some of that was bleak. Okay. <laughs> but, but overall, you know, it was, um, and the feedback I'm still getting, like, to to log on to this and not know that you had read it is such a pleasant surprise. I've been comparing it to, like, it's a nut. There are all these nuts hidden in the forest. Right. <laughs> and, and I'll get them later. Like, people who are like, I ha- I'm sorry, I haven't read your book yet. I'm like, good. <laughs> Save it. Because, like, it's so great when randomly somebody will just be like, oh, my God, I read your book and I loved it so mm-hmm. much. And it lasts longer, I think. It's a slow right, drip, right?
0: I feel like your book should be made into. Is it weird? Okay, I feel like your book should be made into a TV show. Uh, I, I mean, I think so too. <laughs> I just, I are you? I don't, and it's impossible too because I know that. And we can talk about your TV pitch thing that went out yeah. that was like yeah. super spot on. Yeah. So I know you're out there like developing television shows and writing shows, and nobody ever wants to talk about what they are no, because it's hard.
3: I'll talk about. Are it. you? I'll talk.
0: Working. I, I'm trying. Are you going to work on a pitch about your
3: book? I am. Good. I am working on it, and and I've gotten some really great feedback from some producers an actor that like I'll tell you after oh. this is over who it is but an actor that I really like was like I want in <gasps> I love the book <gasps> I want to star direct and I was like oh, you know and then that was 6 months ago and okay. nothing has <laughs> happened you know sure you know so um I think I have to take control of this process and I think maybe I wasn't ready yet because the book process itself was so emotionally draining right. to write the book that um now I'm starting to feel energy again to be like let's dive back mm-hmm. in and what you know I think I need to decide like what is the TV show version of this right then reapproach all uh, uh, some people who were excited about mm-hmm. it and go here's my vision now let's go with right. it and that's what's good about it too because it doesn't expire like the book is Forever. Yeah. And it's a story that is, that doesn't need to be told right this second necessarily on TV. Even
1: if you,
0: like, okay, when you were, because the book is super personal and it, it's, it, I just loved it again. <laughs> is it harder? Cause, you know, I, I wrote a book which is not as, is not as memorable, <laughs> but I, you know, it was like quite a process. And it doesn't then, matter what it is. Books are hell. Hell. But then, I found it very difficult to sell the book. Mm-hmm. I found it actually very difficult to talk about the book mm-hmm. after because they were personal stories from my life and growing up. Yeah, And I f- still felt like there was like this haunting sense in my head of like, these are just my stories. Like, how do I make this sellable? Like, it's, it was still hard for me to understand why I had written the book.
3: <laughs> in I think that was one of the hardest things while I was writing the book. Mm-hmm. was convincing myself that anyone cared and that it was worth it. And, no, you know, I just mm-hmm. felt all the time, like, who's going to give a shit about what I have to say <laughs> and my story? I mean, and then right when the book came out, you mm-hmm. know, in the weeks leading up, there was some, we were trying to do some press and promotion and I got an excerpt was put, this is just like a, a tale of how, how messed up online media can be like <laughs> they put an excerpt from the book on like t- the today show blog like okay. some subsection of the today show blog okay? okay i was like so excited so they put an excerpt up well they didn't say at the beginning that it was an excerpt from a book oh and then the headline it said it at the end and it was really unclear and then at the headline was like i went into the grand canyon with my sister and it didn't go as planned or something like that. <laughs> and it made it seem like you were about to read a story of me having to cut my arm off okay. to survive. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then the story gets on like Google news. Like it gets like picked up in the algorithm and I'm getting all these messages like, oh my God, I opened my phone this morning and there you were. And, and so it got like a lot of eyeballs, but right. I got... A lot of comments back and like people being like this was so stupid like i expected her like to be eaten by a bear or something and there was nothing and she's chewed through her own ankle to get out of the bear (laughs) trap and i'm like it's part of a book and also yeah no i don't have a survival story as part of this book and i'm sorry that it was sort of presented to you that way
0: <laughs> what's scarier cliff jumping making yeah. your way through the grain, is the whole runner through the whole book we're we're winding yeah. through
3: yeah anyone who who doesn't know the book is um it's like me t- i took a trip with my it's a memoir i took a trip with my sister into the grand canyon on a whitewater rafting trip 8 days 228 miles through the Grand Canyon. I'd never done anything like this. Not an outdoorsy person at all. Not athletic at all. Very, very, very weak and brittle (laughs) going into this environment. And then I flash back to stories from my life and memories or whatever. But yeah, the cliff jumping was probably one of the scariest things. Mm -hmm. That we did, and the second one, there's two cliff jumps in the book, and the second one, my sister Ross and I still get, like, the, the heebie-jeebies talking mm. about it, because we talked about that water when you were at the deepest point from diving in. Right. It was so dark and cold, oh. and your body is doing that thing like, just get to the air, go! Right. Like, you're just where are you survival mode yeah and like even though you know you're fine for a split second you're like i'm under i'm i'm gonna drown down here and and that i look back and i get the shivers thinking about that still Ooh, and then sometimes some of the some of the rafting stuff i'm like god we were just lucky that nothing really crazy happened. Like, what were we doing down there? <laughs>
0: it's very funny because we are trying to, like, we're trying to figure out, you know, I have three kids, and we like to vacation with this other family, and we're, like, mm-hmm. we're all sitting around talking about, like, what trip will we take next year? And someone brought up whitewater rafting, and I was like, no. yeah, <laughs> I just read a book. It's not <laughs> for me.
3: <laughs> I've had people respond to me about the book being like, everything seems great except when you talked about the Groover they're like now oh. I know I'll never do anything like that. <laughs> the Groover is how poop was taken care of yep. in the Grand Canyon. You mm-hmm. have to read the book to find out. But the, the people, it was interesting hearing people's uh, where they were like, "Oh, I always wanted to do something like that," and then I read your book and I realized I'll never do that because of this, that, or the other. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, that's that is a standout. Actually, I forgot about the Groover, and now that you've reminded me, you've made my <laughs> decision. <laughs> even more... I feel even more justified.
3: It's actually luxurious compared to other camping I've done.
0: Well, it's not as private,
3: though. It's not... It's definitely not very not, private. Not very the Groover is essentially an outdoor toilet seat on a metal tank that they've set up, like, off to the side behind a bush. Mm-hmm. And they set up a system where you know if someone's in the bathroom or not. And mm-hmm. and then the guys have... because. Down the Grand Canyon, it's leave no trace camping. You can't leave anything. You can't even pee. Mm -hmm. You have to pee in the river. It's all these rules. And they would take the Groover, you know, lock it up at, at the end of the day and then take it back on the boat. So they had to like carry our shit with us the whole trip.
0: Oh my. I must have missed that part in the book. I yeah.
3: didn't even oh, Yeah, I don't my. I it's I didn't explicitly talk about how like at one point they made a comment about how heavy it was getting oh. and I was like, oh shit oh, no.
0: I oh, was you can really hear it. You can really hear it in there. Everything's sloshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those those
3: sweet river guides, those sweet boys, they oh, they did boy. so much for us. What, what is
0: scarier to you? Jumping off cliffs or doing mm. live television? because you've done oh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of live television. Yeah.
3: Um I would say uh weirdly the cliff was probably scarier mm-hmm. in the in the moment, but mm-hmm. I think overall psychologically the live TV was scarier in how everything seemed like it was riding on those moments.
0: Oh boy. I really was so intrigued reading um, the parts in the book about mm-hmm. your show. Because you, you. you had your own late night show, mm-hmm. and I remember it well. And I watched it, and I obviously thought you were amazing on it. And thank you. Just your recollections of that, it felt so familiar to me.
3: Thank you. It was so fun to write that part. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure, I, I the book sort of found itself as I was writing it. And, um, Some of that stuff was actually some of the scariest stuff I revealed. I mean, I reveal a lot in the book. Like, the family history stuff was probably the hardest part to deal with. Mm -hmm. But then there was a lot of stuff about my divorce. But then getting into the TV and career stuff actually was way scarier than I thought it was going to be to reveal. Because I think I've always wanted to project to the world and to my peers, like, I'm doing great, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm in control of my career. I'm winning all the time. (laughs) And I had to kind of reveal some of my fears and insecurities Mm -hmm. in that part. But it was very, very freeing to do that uh, and healing in a way that I'm still kind of experiencing.
1: I
0: think it is very difficult to talk about your fears and frustrations because you're so right. It's not. And people really, they really only want to hear you talk about the stuff Mm -hmm. where you're like, I'm amazing i'm such a boss i do it all and i do it all by 9 a.m like everybody wants to hear the secret of how to be Mm -hmm. like confident and do everything right but the truth is that most of it is just like faking it
3: (laughs) yeah well and and, yeah and also there's a fear of like if you reveal that maybe you don't feel like you're doing as well in your career as you wanted to mm-hmm. there's a worry that that is like a plague that other right. people don't want to get on them and like right. like oh somebody's star meter is going down get away you know like right. and that's yeah that's just a that's just perception and it's not real mm-hmm. and like there's a million examples of people's career everybody's career is like up and down and ebbs and flows and mm-hmm. and you have disappointments no matter that was the vi- the video that i put out about yeah. how to make a tv show in three mm-hmm. steps i first off did not expect it to go that far like with the amount of people that responded and are still responding to it, I, I just truly was like, I ten people are gonna get this. I'll just put it out.
0: Honestly, <laughs> everybody owes it to themselves <laughs> to watch it. It's just the funniest and the most true thing. I mean, I it's like a miracle to me that any television show it's it the air.
3: Yeah. And I it 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 when people were sharing it, that people I view as like incredibly successful A-list. Mm-hmm people were like like seth rogan retweeting yeah. it i'm like you relate to i felt very seen i felt like oh mm-hmm. everybody you know It and even a friend of mine who has a very famous father mm-hmm. who is a director was like emailing me like i loved your video blah blah and i even make fun of people who have famous dads <laughs> right. in the video and she was like even so that's why like i It's hard for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are in this business to get a show on the air, to get your movie made, to get, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do executed fully. Mm -hmm. Certain things grease those wheels for you a little bit, but you're still gonna, it's still a crazy business that makes no sense. Absolutely. (laughs) No one is immune to it. (laughs) I think
0: actually, few people outside of this world understand how much is contingent on like a guy in a shopping mall giving you the thumbs up or thumbs down, like (laughs) Bryce, I can't believe we still use focus groups to determine what is on television and what does not make it to television.
3: You know, I know somebody who, um, so in the video, I talk about how you get, you you know, you write, you you pitch your idea, then -hmm. you make a pilot. And I, I break down all the steps as to like, it's not as simple as it seems and then the the network decide is is like green light but mm-hmm. there's all these steps in between and one of them is they send off your your movie or your or your pilot for your TV show off to like a focus group in a mall mm-hmm. and they ask those people what they think of it and then they decide are they going to pick it up based on these random morons <laughs> <laughs> based on people who are
0: in the mall on, right. like, a Tuesday morning. Like, there's yeah. nowhere for them like, to be. Like, who's signing
3: up for these groups? I know someone. I can't remember who it was, but I know someone who went and did one of these because he was he <gasps> he was curious yeah. what happened in these focus groups. And his report back was basically, like, um, they really want to know if you want to be friends with and hang out with the main host or character of these shows. <laughs> Would you want to hang out? With Sarah Schaefer, would you want to get a beer with her? Like, that's what ends up... It's like, we will, no one told me what? that. I would have done a completely different show. Why are people so
0: <laughs> obsessed with hanging out with people who are on their TVs? I don't want to hang out with any of the shows I like. I don't want to hang out with those people at all. That's the whole point. That's why I like the show. Right.
3: It's just a a, a very weird system, and a lot of it, I think, is done because that's how it was always done. Why change yes. or whatever.
0: Mhm. <laughs> With given all of those steps, because there are mm-hmm. so many, there are so many hoops to jump through before yeah. your television show even like the first episode airs on TV when yeah. you can turn on the TV and there is your show. Yeah. Are you surprised given the number of hoops you have to jump through
3: at how much awful <laughs> shows? Right, and many like many right, how theaters. many awful shows there are and it's like well, how did that get on the air? Yeah versus, you know, something that was like a gem, you know, a diamond. Like yeah. that just it it is very strange. And like and also, as you know, pitching shows in mm. this whole system, it first of all, it takes so long, mm-hmm. but the people in the positions of power, the network executives, these people change jobs a lot. a lot. I mean, they're switching networks, they're reorganizing, someone's getting mm-hmm. fired, promoted, moving on. And so you're dealing with different people along the way who now may not really want, or they're going in a different direction every quarter. It's like, well, now we're appealing to young women who yes. um, have had uh, three children, right? And those, that's our demo. And the next, it's like, well, now we need to appeal to um, dudes who like skateboarding. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. where,
0: where are we going? Yeah. If you sell a show, you want to be proud and you want to be like, I told we said, we got a thumbs up. Like, we sold a thing. But then it can get unsold. So, like, you know, things are like, yeah, we're doing it. Let's get it yeah. together. And then two weeks later, they're like, actually, no. It's very hard to, like,
3: it's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's happened to multiple people including my own like husband like where a whole show is sold made Mm -hmm. a whole season is filmed edited in the can and then the network's like "Eh, we're going in a different direction we don't have any space for it you're like what i know yeah it's like how do they have that much money to spend all that money and then to not air it makes no sense. <laughs> is 80% of television
0: just a tax write-off?
3: Yeah. What are we doing? What are
0: we doing? What is this hamster wheel?
3: If you watch the video, like, everyone now is talking to me about, like, I've made it to step 2C one time. I I, I got to 1H. And I'm stuck in 1J. God damn it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversation, and it's 3D is the final step that I get to where you're actually watching your show. Mm-hmm. And I've been to 3D once. Mm-hmm. and I've been to every other step along the way I've been around the merry-go-round many times since and one idea got all almost all the way to being picked up to be a series I, I got to shoot the pilot and it didn't get picked up and it was for some really crazy reason like oh like a miscommunication from <gasps> like someone really high up no. like didn't fully say, oh, I didn't want that type of shows. Why are you making it was like a, a whole slate of pilots just got like oh God axed because somebody high up was like, What are y'all doing down there? Oh, oh no, we don't want that. Oh my <laughs> God.
0: I was on vacation when you made that whole thing. I was yeah. in Martha's Vineyard.
3: Yeah. Yes, if that's what it felt like. And the people, the network executives that I worked with were really great, and everything was great up to that point. And it was like some random lofty person who I'd never heard of suddenly just just dashed everyone's hopes. And then I wanted to put like a clip of it online, and that was like a big ask. Right. Like, can I put a little short clip of the thing we made? Just one five-minute clip, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was this big like, well, I don't know. It's a big favor we're doing you. Like, well, what am I supposed to do with it? I want to show somebody. Oh, were and you I think able it's because, to? yeah, I was able okay. to. They were very nice. They let me put up. I have it on my YouTube. Okay, I'm not going to even say what it is because I don't want to. Like, people are very sensitive. They they, right. they feel like, but I. Because I think the some network executives that you work with, they're just as heartbroken as you are that it didn't work out. They actually don't have as much power as you think they do. It's somebody higher above them that's really making their lives hell. You know, right, right, right. So it's not them that I want to like go after. You know, sure. But uh, yeah, I think sometimes they don't want to let you. Like I have a friend who also had a whole show, a whole season in the can, and then they didn't air it. And they wanted to put it online to show people. And they did. And they got almost immediately had to take it down. Oh, okay. Oh. And it's like, I get it, but you didn't want it. You know? Yeah. Can't I just put it on my YouTube? <laughs> and they're like, no. It's like they don't want to admit. They don't want people to go, this was really good. You made a wrong choice by not picking totally. this up.
0: And they want the idea to disappear forever. They're like, well, we paid for the idea. <laughs> And the idea is dead, and no one can ever hear this idea again, ever.
3: Yeah, it's like, and you can never speak of this. Never again. speak
0: of this. We put, <laughs> we drop a shroud over the entire process. Everybody, move on. <laughs> my husband and I were writing partners for a long time. We did a lot of stuff together and we were always pitching. We were like just always pitching stuff. When we yeah. worked at the daily show, we were just like always out there, always trying to get something like putting these building blocks together. Yeah. So we would all often have like, we just had like multiple projects and multiple pitches going. How many projects would you say that you keep like kind of floating around like back burner, front oh, burner yeah. just juggling stuff?
3: Yeah. Right now I have four. You have four. And there's, Periods where, um, you know, I think people who work in this business understand this probably that when you have agents and managers, they don't really encourage you to have five hundred things going on at once. Right. They want you to focus on the one thing that they think they can mm-hmm. get done. And um, but I'm like, come on, we gotta. We got to diversify here. We got to play the different lottery cards. Yeah. So I'm always, yeah. So you're backburnering things. Mm-hmm. And so I have like four ideas. One is trying to do something with my book. Yeah. One is involving miniatures, which I'm really into yes. now. <laughs> and, you know, one is with a friend. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of stuff I'm always working mm-hmm. on. And I always call it like, what's my moneymaker lane And what's my big dream lane? Okay. Oh, I like that. And my moneymaker lanes end up usually being writing jobs that I get to write on other projects that aren't mine. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've made my living. I'm very fortunate to have been um, hired on lots of stuff over the past almost 10 years since the MTV show. While you're trying to get these long-term, huge projects off the ground that take forever, I've been lucky to be able to support myself during those. But sometimes... You have to say no, right, to the money maker job so that you can focus fully on something that is a bigger play, a bigger like hit, yes, for you.
0: And it's like I feel like if you only had one project at a time, and I do think. I definitely have people in my world who are like, I've got this one thing. And I'm like, that's great. But now you're too emotionally invested in it. Like now it's like, right. you, you kind of can give 75% of yourself, <laughs> to do it, but not the full hundred because. Well,
3: because the, heart the heartbreak, break. I mean, the heartbreak of when, it, if it doesn't work out is so brutal. And I've always been like surprised by what rejections hurt more Mhm like sometimes it'll be not what i expected it'll be some little thing that i didn't get that just sends me into a goddamn tailspin and i'm just like i am going to quit you know right. and then like something huge like doesn't go hard and i'm like whatever right and it might just be coming out in different ways but i don't recommend putting all your eggs in one basket no because it is so hard
0: i'm sure that up and coming writers i'm sure people come to you a lot and ask you for ask you for not just help, but just like advice. Mm-hmm. Do you have a specific kind of advice that you like to give people who are kind of coming up or curious or.
3: It depends on my mood. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I get very, I get angry with that question. I'm just like, like I'm an old lady. I don't know. Find your own way. he will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. you'd Be born rich. <laughs> That's my advice. Invent a time machine and go back. <laughs>
0: go back in time when your parents could be famous, give you a good last name.
3: Yeah. Um, No, I think some of my advice is um, usually it's just like what I just said is like to Mm -hmm. try and have a way to support yourself. That isn't, that isn't so risky and high stakes Mm -hmm. so that you can feed yourself and, you know, live because I don't believe in the starving artist. Myth. Sure. I think you have to have basics. You deserve basics. You deserve basics, and that's a whole separate conversation yep. about our society. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I think you know you do better art when you are fed and secure. Mm-hmm. So if you have a way to make your money, and then to to have like, uh, my mom always would say, "I like Sarah, you've got your long term goals and your short term goals." Like I always had long term goals and short term goals. And then the other advice, which is, you know, now looking back on almost 20 years in this business, I've really started to think about, like, not to dwell, what would I do differently or what, you know. Right. But just that it's unfortunate, but especially in stand-up comedy, but in in TV writing and and Hollywood in general, unfortunately, reputation and personal relationships are really important. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know that when I started. I was like, oh, you just go and be funny, and you make stuff, and everything follows. And I'm a little bit awkward socially, so uh, um, like many of us Mm -hmm. are. And I had trouble with that, like, hang aspect of it in the beginning, which I hate. I mean, I really think it's stupid. What does hanging out at a comedy club until 2 in the morning have anything to do with how good you are at comedy? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that is part of it. And so I think the best advice I have, which I did do slowly and awkwardly and unintentionally, (laughs) you find your friends in this business and that's your hang. I was never going to be someone who was going to climb and schmooze and I just didn't have those skills. But I think if I had just been a little more cognizant of that earlier, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) things would be easier for me now. like (laughs) You know?
0: (laughs) Well, you really do talk a lot about, because I love, like, I love your Twitter feed. It's just always really, Mm. I just love it. Thank you. And you talk a lot about, like, the the rules of comedy Mm -hmm. clubs and the gatekeepers of comedy clubs and the pandemic and having to step away from live, in-person comedy. Do you think, like... Is that changing how comedy clubs are coming back or are they just like same old scene? You know,
3: I think it's – we don't know. I don't know yet because what I did notice, um, I thought, oh, wow, the real – the playing field has been leveled a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in L.A., I can't speak to the New York comedy scene anymore. But in L.A., shows that were, you know, institutions are gone or in limbo. Clubs are changing. Right. Personnel has changed. And so it's actually a good opportunity to reestablish yourself or to try a new venue that you've maybe were afraid to go to before. A lot of new shows have started, new venues. And so it's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed and what other women comics in LA at least noticed was that suddenly the clubs had gone back to almost no women. <laughs> we were like, yes. oh, what? Hey, wait
0: a second. <laughs> I thought we were talking about that before oh really yeah
3: and like it it really was progress had really been made Mm and before the pandemic hit and then when shows were starting up again it was like an entire weekend at a club which is 40 comedians And there's two women, two out of 40. Right. Like, that's not okay. And so it was like everyone started talking and then a couple people were brave to, like, say something publicly on Twitter. And that Mm -hmm. sort of started the conversation. And I think the clubs that care are trying to remedy that and make sure that they aren't, you know, because I think what we're realizing is you can't just assume that things are going to be equal you actually have to make a concerted effort which is something that you have talked about when you started your show you guys made a concerted effort to hire diverse Mm -hmm. staff and that isn't something that just happens you have to try
0: you have to try you have to think about it all the time even when you're doing a bad job of it you have to be thinking about it and knowing that you're Mm -hmm. doing a bad job and correcting your bad Mm -hmm. job (laughs)
3: Yeah, it's what I say. Like, I've been thinking a lot to myself, like, I'm doing my best. Mm -hmm. But I also know that a lot of times my best isn't good enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but I'm doing the best in my ability, (laughs) in my little corner of the world to do things better than they were before. But yeah, I think that comedy, the rules and the gatekeepers, everything is in flux right now. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like a shipwreck. Right. So I'm interested to see how it shakes out. But there's been some disappointing things and some encouraging things happening. You know, like Netflix put out is announced a new slate of half hour specials. Okay. And it was, I think, mostly women, if not half. Mm-hmm. And there may not have even been one white woman in the bunch. I think, you know, so yeah. I actually was excited about it. I was like, that's great. great. Like the the big part. Platforms are not going backwards. Right. They are continuing down this line. Because I think now that we've given more stage time, and more opportunity to different voices, we're seeing how good and exciting they are. And that it makes a lineup or a slate better. Yeah. Well, tell me about the ha hole.
0: Where did the <laughs> yeah. idea for a miniature club come from?
3: <laughs> well, I've always been into miniatures. Yes. Um, I had a dollhouse growing up. Um, Was very lucky to have that dollhouse and always have played with miniatures and collected them and love tiny things. And then pandemic Uh um, hit and a sort of cascade of events happened where I had my dollhouse living in a new place and I don't have room here to store it. And I also had a garage to work in. And so I was like, I'm going to renovate this old dollhouse Mm -hmm. because it was so beat up, but it had such sentimental value to me. And so I fixed it up and I gave it to somebody because again, I don't have room for it. It It's massive. It was like a three-story Tudor mansion. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was like three feet high, four feet wide. Like I, you know, so I I went very deep into that project and like kind of hyper fixated on it. And then It was so fulfilling and rewarding to do that project that I was like, I want to do it again. Right. And so then I started a new house from scratch, which I'm still working on, barely have even started. But while I was doing that, I was like, I got the idea to make a miniature comedy club. Like very detailed, one inch scale, no detail left behind, you know, lighting, a neon sign, the green room, all of it. And I went, so deep on that and i became i did it first to be like oh my god i, I want i want to put this on my bookshelf right because it's small and i want to it's just like a room that i decorated that's how i was looking at it but then it kind of expanded but i was like i'm just gonna have it and then people could come over and see it and be filled with wonder <laughs> right and i'll post pictures of it online well then as i'm working on it I, it becomes this like transformative artistic uh process for me where now I'm thinking about comedy and my place in it and uh, comedy clubs are so small and they can't possibly hold all of the vast amount of talent out there all these like metaphors are popping into my head. Mm And um, it was so, so fun to do. I kept it a secret until I was done with it. And then the response, of course, was so wonderful. And now I'm doing shows in it, like on Zoom. It's becoming a whole thing. So. Incredible.
0: <laughs> does your does your miniature comedy club have miniature trolls? Does it have
3: <laughs> troll-free? We had a, um, uh, an idea maybe on one of the next zoom shows i do in it that there could be a heckler or something that we play with and um deal with but you know it's it was funny because the green room people really a lot of comedians had very strong reactions to the whole thing like like some were like i'm i'm triggered others were like i'm so filled with nostalgia and like <laughs> everyone thinks that the green room is based on a specific green room that they've been to right and i'm like no you're projecting your experience this is what i love about miniatures yes. is You project your experience onto it. It's why it's so great to look at a miniature thing. You imagine yourself in Mm -hmm. it. And um, the green room, people were like, it's a little clean for a green room. And I was like, well, this is a club where mostly women perform. So it's a little bit better taken care of. (laughs) Keep it
0: tidy. There's no vomit on the rug.
3: (laughs) Right. (laughs) We, we actually care about our surroundings. <laughs>
0: I love miniatures so much. I don't make miniatures, but my daughter does. Yeah, you have to have a certain mindset, I think. There's something that happens to me physically when I see, <laughs> like, when I would buy a calico critters for my kids. <laughs> yeah. And you just get, like... Oh, those are so cute. You just get, like, the little baby set for the baby calico critter. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, the tiniest... Yeah. The spoon Yeah. so... The little...
3: The little it's the little stuff. It's the stuff that's mm-hmm. the best. That was my favorite part of the club was making like the notebook yes. and the phone charger and <sighs> um, like just these, I mean, even I spent hours on just a light switch mm-hmm. on the wall to make it look just the slightest bit 3D mm-hmm. so that it looked real. And it was very, very tedious, but it was meditative and like, and then when you make it, I was trying thing I've never really made miniatures on that level before. Like I made a couch. Right. It was really difficult. Right. And I mean, made me want to like burn the whole thing down several times. But um I just tried and there's so much nowadays, just the YouTube tutorials and right. all of it are just so abundant and so it's like easy to kinda once you get a concept, you're like, Oh, that's how you do that. Okay, I can now I'm gonna try. It was very fun. I, feel like I was reading about your journey to making your sofa. Yeah, I was posting about it, how difficult it was. So
0: I don't know. I guess that's it. It's like a meditation. And it's just like, you know, when you're trying to cure your own hiccups, how you have to slow your breathing and you just have to focus on this like one thing and then
3: Yeah, I get lost in these things. Mm -hmm. These it's not I've been this way my whole life, but like I get lost. I guess there's actually a term for it, hyperfixation, Mm but um I get Really, really, into I go deep on something where literally I'm like the rest of my life is burning down around me, and I'm like, right. i I have to put shingles on this house. I'm right. sorry, but uh, I will not be doing anything else for the next month. The
0: world has to stop. We are shingling. today we are shingling.
3: My husband was laughing at me. He goes, because you he knows when I get in that mode, mm-hmm. when I get obsessed, he's like, you would wake up in the morning and just before even getting a sip of water. Mm-hmm be at the table getting something going, like glue so that you could let it dry. Like cause I would wake up being like, oh, I should glue that thing together now because it takes an hour to dry. Right. And I need to get that going. And then I'll have my breakfast and i <laughs> like So I was working like twelve hours a day on Does it. he
0: share your love of miniatures or does he just go
3: with you, you on know this what? journey? He does. He loves action figures, oh. which is the male version of dollhouses. Great. And so he has uh luckily we are both very into nostalgia and toys and collecting and th- I mean he's more of a collector than I am okay in that way okay. it's funny I've been researching miniatures and the world of it and it's very gendered where dollhouses are for women mm-hmm. traditionally right but when men are into it it's called dioramas oh <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically science Yeah, so it's the same stuff. You're using the same concepts and skills, Mm -hmm. and then usually dioramas sometimes will involve action figures and superheroes Mm -hmm. and, like, more guy stuff, and then, like, you know, but it's... Really all the same. Yes. It, if you're working in the same scale as someone else, you're you're the same. Yeah, it's
0: <laughs> very much the same. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to ask just a couple okay. more things. But like, what a pleasure. I feel like I want to see you in the real world. Like in real life.
3: I want to see you too. I love you so much. You know I love you. The first time I met you, we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. was I had a show in New York called Sarah Schaefer is Obsessed with mm-hmm. You. And my friend Elliot Kaylin, helped get me in touch with you to come do my little show in my little basement in NoHo. And it was one of the highlights of my life. Like, I was so excited that you did it. I was just like, I... I've made it. She came to my show.
0: <laughs> I hope I wasn't too weird. Because I am socially, I am very socially awkward. Oh my
3: God, it was so fun. I mean, look, I am I going to go back and watch a video of it? I don't think I even have one. No, right. because I'd probably <laughs> die of embarrassment of everything I did back then. But, <laughs> but people liked it. And it okay. was like, you you helped me. That that people doing my little show helped my career get started. You know, cuz I would book people that that had bigger name than me to try and get an audience in and it worked. So you helped well, me. Well, if
0: you're a big celebrity person who wants to play you in the U version of the U show, bail's out. <laughs> come and tell me cuz I anyway. Well, she might
3: play my mom.
0: Oh. God, this is great. We have we have choices here. You have choices. We can work on this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Here's my last question because I loved the question that you talk about in your book that your sister asked you. Once you get your dream, what's your new dream? Which is so simple and so profound. So, is that something that you think about a lot? What is your next dream? Do can you define it?
3: Yeah, I've had a lot of dreams over the years since that big dream came true on on MTV mm-hmm. um, with my talk show with Nikki. But I think now the dream is I'm allowing there was a while where I sort of stamped out Hollywood dreams because I felt mm-hmm. like, well, you had your chance and now mm-hmm. you're lucky to just be working. So that's it. I am allowing myself to have some dreams now that are, you know, I'd love to create a, another show. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, I don't know. And and to get all the way and have it on the air, that's a dream. And then I have like other, now that I'm getting a little older, the dreams are more like, I want a homestead. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want a little, a couple acres and a little garden mm-hmm. and a workshop yeah. for my crafts. So I have these kind of two lanes that are are you know floating around my head at all times now.
0: That's great. That's great. But <laughs> all achievable. Yeah. Will all be achieved. This is awesome. Yes. Vision boarding it. Vision board. <laughs> Tiny vision board.
3: Oh my God! A I should make one. It's so a little. Oh my God! I should make one. Oh, would <laughs> be it a really good idea. Like thumbtacks, little like little a- cutouts from magazines, oh. like a little collage. Yeah, oh. I could do it. Oh
0: God! All right, it was so great talking to you. Thank you so much, oh, Sam.
3: Thank you. We
0: shall talk again. Get the book, okay, Grand. Everyone, not you. You have it. You wrote it.
3: I've got several copies. Okay.
0: <laughs> I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh, my God. I love her.
1: I love her. I feel I really like we do. need to send out a list of like accompanying reading and viewing to understand <laughs> this episode. Sam <laughs> B.
2: Book Club. Book Club. Yeah, seriously. So we, we presume that you and Sarah have both been subjected at times during your career to the whole women aren't funny trope or mindset. And we wanted to give you the opportunity to push back a little bit and give Mm -hmm. you a chance to critique one of the all-time great male comedians, Mike Huckabee.
0: Oh, he's so funny.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's a tough act to follow. But here are a few of his most infamous Twitter one-liners. And we want to see if you can deconstruct the joke or just let us know if it's even remotely funny. Okay. So, for instance, here's the first one. Okay. For Cinco de Mayo, I will drink an entire jar of hot salsa and watch old Speedy Gonzalez cartoons and speak Spanish all day. Happy mm-hmm. C.D. Mayo. Ha ha. Oh, this is great. He's <laughs> really,
0: really funny, man. What? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah. you want me to deconstruct? I don't even understand what he was going for at all.
2: Yeah, I just think he was like, here's a bunch of racist stereotypes. Here's
0: racist stereotypes. Is Is it all going to be, it's mostly going to be, racist stereotypes right (laughs) the? okay what's the okay here's one that's
1: not Mm -hmm. totally racist so let's see if it's a laugh okay watch celebs spew ignorant political venom at oscars question mark question mark nah Uh i think i'd rather have a colonoscopy both happen from the same location both happen (laughs) both happen at the doctor's office (laughs) or the oscars (laughs) at the
0: oh from the from the asshole
2: yes there you go i get it (laughs) it was a little highbrow
0: it was i didn't you know what it went over my head so that's where i'm at oh he's terrific
1: smart
2: humor it's really smart okay here's another confusing confounding one okay oscar meyer rolls out new weenie all pork called the gop Artificial taste and ingredients lose weight makes you sick if you eat it.
1: What? <laughs> I think he was drunk. Well, that. that's not <laughs> and hungry. none of that makes sense. I yeah, don't know if trying to troll.
2: Yeah. Who is he trolling? I yeah oh GOP, mike
0: huckabee you played yourself okay <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's
1: one that's very racist oh good great <laughs> great i trust bernie sanders with my tax dollars like i trust mm-hmm. a north korean chef with my labrador
0: oh god <laughs> oh my god yeah. What is so racist <laughs> yikes Holy shit. Let's
2: just leave that one there. Shockingly, none of these are getting a
0: laugh. He's in the government. Oh, my God. Okay.
2: All right. Uh, This one is like a rare self-deprecating one. He says, uh, Prince Philip steps down from public events. Mm -hmm. No truth to the massive rumor that I would step in for him. Only crown I have is from Burger King.
0: Oh, Christ. Okay.
1: Well... That's probably the best joke. Yeah. The joke is that he's actually more of a McDonald's person. Oh, boy. He got us. This is, I feel like physically,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel physically ill. Oh, then we've done our job. (laughs) He is
1: not invited to the miniature comedy club. Is he vaccinated?
2: Oh, I'm sure he's <laughs> he? not.
1: Oh, God. I don't know. That just question came up randomly.
0: Sam,
2: <laughs>
1: there's no
0: vaccine for his humor.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, my God. I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he sucks so badly on every possible level. Oh. Well, great guy. Great guy. Great guy. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't think women are funny at all.
2: Oh, didn't he?
1: Did he insult me once?
2: <laughs> Probably. <laughs>
1: I love that. That's just a question we can ask. <laughs> I think he might have.
2: He's definitely not a fan. I feel
0: like he might have at <laughs> some point, and he, uh, ugh, he might have called me a smut mouth or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> a smut it was mouth. something. It was like something like that. It was just you know in keeping with his with his comedy. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, I'm sweating. Okay. <laughs> I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, Mike Huckabee, please consider hate listening in the future. <laughs> Seriously, though, rate, review, follow full release in Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends, spread the word about us and this podcast. In the meantime, keep sending us your comments and questions to full release at sandb.com. They might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes, exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune into Fullfrontal with Samantha B Wednesdays at 10 30. 30 p.m. on TBS, and we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svia Baron Reinstein with research provided by Maureen Malik and IT and technical production provided by Hitech. Tech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B. I was like, Jason, you deal with this. And he read it and he was like, There's challenges. <laughs> and I was like fuck no. I couldn't type the words absolutely not fast enough. <laughs> Physical <laughs> challenges. Right. Shoot me. <laughs> <laughs>